Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome on to the week-ending edition of Dunked On. If you're joining us for the first time on Dunked On Prime, we got a ton of people signing up for the free trial. No reason not to do that. You can still listen to the mock trade deadline. Very, very relevant. Still going forward. And of course, a week from today, you'll be able to get all of our trade deadline analysis plus trade deadline analysis from John and me as well. All of it ad-free via our free 30-day trial but let's not mess around anymore here danny we have a trade to announce ladies and gentlemen i'd like to report a trade and i would say it's a surprising one the memphis grizzlies trade stephen adams to the houston rockets for victor oladipo and three second round picks we do not know exactly which seconds they are but we can do some deduction i believe you saw that it's two and 24 and one and 25 the houston rockets have in 24 they do not have their own but they have brooklyn's golden states and oklahoma cities and then in 25 they have their own and oklahoma cities so it will be presumably three of those five and so we can have a pretty good guess yeah so that's a a relatively diverse set uh, of picks Uh, i imagine you know maybe two of them are good and one of them are bad Uh, i don't I don't think we need to get too much into which seconds they are. I think, though, you said that you're just like absolutely fascinated to talk more about this trade. So why don't you let us know why that is? The main takeaway is that I kind of hate it for both teams. And there are some (laughs) some clear reasons why. And so for the so I want to start with the Rockets perspective, because there are some meaningful, valuable things that a presumably healthy Stephen Adams will do for them in the 24-25 season. He is a talented player. He was an underappreciated, in my eyes, starter and part of Memphis's success over the last few years when he was available. But he is a true center-only player. And Alpern Shangun, in my eyes, is a true center-only player as well. And so what that means you're getting from Adams, Shangun has been very healthy so far, thankfully. He played he's played over 70 games in, in every one of his NBA seasons. And then this year, so far, the Rockets have played 47 games, and he has played 47 games. So in the times when Shangun is healthy, then Adams is a valued backup center. And that actually is a huge kind of well, I'll, I'll get into that after the second part. And then the second part is, of course, Adams can step into the starting lineup when, if or when, Shangun is unavailable. And so what that version of Steven Adams does for the Rockets when he's healthy is he mitigates a lot of disaster because the Rockets were, they, I mean, still, still are for this season, really awkward and shaky at backup center. They would be in real trouble if Shangun misses time for any real, like for any significant reason. And so from that perspective, getting Steven Adams makes it, makes a, a real difference for them. However, that to my eye is it's not the you know like that is real value but it's not like he's going to start or close for you in any other circumstance other than Shingun being unavailable yeah and Tim McMahon said the Rockets envision him as a 20 minute per game option so Shingun's only gonna play 28 minutes no that, that's not right uh he's gonna play in the low mid-30s maybe they feel like he's being overextended a little bit which maybe there's something to that so okay uh, you, they take on 12.6 million dollars of Steven Adams the Grizz signed him to that extension a bit ago after he had already signed an extension with New Orleans that I was like I think around 17 and of course he was making like in the mid-20s before that when New Orleans traded for him and he I think he signed that extension as part of that trade to New Orleans and yeah I mean I guess we'll, we'll continue on the Houston perspective here so the Rockets could have had close to 20 million dollars in cap space 
next season and more had the cap gone up more. Now, they also, of course, want to keep their flexibility available for the summer of 2025 uh, when Fred Van Vliet's team option could be declined potentially. They've got that would include a low cap hold for Shingun and Jalen Green will also be a restricted free agent. Uh, he would vaporize a, a fair amount of that cap space if he were to remain in their plans at that time. But, but they could still probably get to max room. And one quick clarification there on Jalen Green is that this would be the clear motivation to if you want to bring him back and he's signing for less than that cap hold sign him quickly you know agree to that and you can get it now we'll see where Jalen Green's market is at a later date or potentially he signs an extension but that that is a, a factor in here and the other like uh, one of the other elements of this for the Rockets you were getting to this is that it does square up for their 2025 potential aspirations and and it's potential not certain yeah yeah but it also means that it would be significantly harder for them to do much in 24. So for me, if I'm Rafael Stone, this clarifies that if you can get a better overall talent level than Jeff Green, Jock Landale for this season and ideally next, you should do that now rather than waiting because now you can't, you know, cut those guys, you know, is a team option for Jeff Green and then it's a non-guarantee for Landale. Like you, the pathway now is trade them for somebody who actually has a similar contract to Stephen Adams instead of letting them go and replacing them another way. So the Rockets have been reported recently to be star hunting by Kelly Eco. And if they had tried to use cap space next offseason, they would have been limited in a couple of ways. One would have been that they probably wouldn't have wanted that deal to go any more than one year guaranteed. Now, could they have gotten a better player than Steven Adams to come in on a one-year $20 million deal? Yeah, they probably could have. But because they now are supposedly maybe star hunting, if with Steven Adams, they're they've got like five million in cap space. This would now actually enable them because Victor Oladipo's contract was expiring. Remember, they brought that in uh, to have trade balance. Jeff Green and Jack Landale have non guarantees at nine point six and eight million next year. Now you can you've got Stephen Adams at twelve six. You can opt in or uh, just keep Jeff Green and Jack Landale if you want to, or maybe only one of them. You can keep or, or you do Tate. or you do the Gallinari method and you partially guarantee it to fill whatever you need to for matching purposes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can even just hold on to them uh, all the way through. I, I mean, Jeff Green has a. Uh, the, both those guys have very early guarantee dates. Uh, now, maybe those guys would be willing to change up and to move the guarantee date back in exchange for partial guarantee. But basically, their problem if they wanted to make a trade next off season and, or during next season, they would not have matching salary for guys that aren't really supposed to be part of their team, right? Like Fred Van Vliet, they want to keep him at 42. Same with Dylan Brooks at 22. And then everyone else is basically a huge part of what they're doing. So now they've added matching salary and Adams opting in Jeff Green, possibly Landell, Jay Sean Tate, where they could bring back a star level of player. And then of course they have all those Brooklyn picks uh, to offer, including some of the young guys, if they want to go that route potentially. So I think as I really talk through this, Steven Adams could help them next year. They might have been able to find someone who fits a little bit better. Or maybe you say Steven Adams is overqualified. Or maybe you're like, ah, you know, Steven Adams, like, is he even going to be healthy next year? Like, that's kind of yeah. a like that. It's it's a risky you know. bet in terms of like, oh, he'll hold his value considering he is currently injured and has been injured at multiple times in the past, even if he's a, a mountain of a man. Yeah, but ultimately, I think this is like, hey, we, we if we had gone the cap space route next offseason, we'd only have one year to give out and we would be limited in terms of our matching salary that we could send out. Now we can keep all these guys around. Yeah we like jeff green in the locker room too fine uh and we can move all of them maybe in the offseason maybe at the deadline next year for a player that we think is really going to matter that can move us to phase three if they're in phase two right now and hey steven adams can help us uh, as well Ime Udoka, some of the messaging around this Ime Udoka wants them to get tougher etc cetera, etc cetera. steven adams can do that he has in theory been ruled out for the year this would make a little bit more sense if like there was some possibility adams could was trending ahead of that and could come back I, maybe we'll hear something about that i'm guessing probably not so as we talk through this you said you really hated it for the rockets you want to elaborate on that a little bit more well it's more the uh, your your contract part of it is is notable and that's something that i hadn't done it's more the on-court thing just that there's only so much he can do and if shangun were less reliable then that would be a different story but i mean and and steven adams we the open question this happens all the time when an older player gets hurt is 
is he going to be the same player when he comes back as he, as he was before? Yeah, and, he'll be and, 31 next year. And Adam's game relies less on athleticism than like Clay Thompson's does. But it is still, you know, if you're moving a little more slowly, that can have some defensive limitations and everything else. And so I hadn't really pieced together your angle on the contract perspective, though Houston gets into some complicated ground in terms of Stepien stuff because of all the picks that they owe. So really going full bore for these other guys, it can't like there are some ways to make it work. And if Stone is creative, he could, you know, and remember, they did. A well, well, they can they can trade all their Brooklyn picks anytime. Yes, they can because, trade all the Brooklyn because they wouldn't have been able to. They were in a situation that was a step in legal before acquiring. before that. Yes, they can. Yeah. But that's really all they can do. They can't you know, there aren't they can't trade any oh, of their and, own. And stuff they can they can trade a, a 28 and a 30. They could do so like they, they got. A fair and, amount of ammunition. So and the other thing that the Rockets have is they have young players that could generate interest around the league. You know, they could sure. they could include Cam Whitmore, or, or if they really were going big, Jabari or Jalen Green or somebody else. And so, yes, potentially. I don't know who that's going to be. I don't know who's a perfect fit. But in terms of like the how much is Stephen Adams going to help the Rockets on the court, like as a backup center, I, I think it's pretty marginal there. But. The story. Yeah, for them, I mean, I think he's he's decent, right? Like it. And we don't know for sure whether he's going to come back. Presumably, they saw something that was encouraging there in terms of how he's progressing or whatever. They they know more about it than we do. But you just true. you never. All right, he might be technically healed, but right, he's thirty one coming off an injury. Like, uh, but you know, I, I expect him to be able to give them competent backup center play, yeah. and probably he's probably a better guy that they could get at backup center than if they went out onto the market with a one year you know mid level. To, sure, but like be, because and, and particularly that, because that, guys don't like aren't going to want to come there to back up Shangun. Like the way you get a guy who's kind of overqualified to do that is by trading for him. it. Is but it's just how important of a need is that relative to everything else? I mean, they still have they still have questions for me at backup one and numerous other things. I know they're giving some latitude to a man and, and various other things. But. Well, now they can use the mid level on that. Uh, instead as conceptually well, if they want sure. to go that they, way they can i mean depending on how all this big game hunting is going and everything else so from houston's perspective i understand the rationale for it but i don't i don't love it just in terms of remember they also gave up three seconds i don't think they're going to be great seconds but they will be they will they will be there and so it's not it's not terrible but i don't i don't like it. and i if i had thought of the um the salary matching element of it because especially because their cap space pathway was so limited in terms of salary stuff like that's that's compelling to me that's something that i hadn't fully appreciated and then for well well well, let me finish up to respond to what you're saying i think if you if the goal was to get another guy in who can play who's kind who's going to help them next year whose contract expires next year that's in this salary range i'm not really sure who else was out there that you wouldn't have to give up a first four which is out of the question for them so i i the more i think about this i understand it and now if steven adams just sucks next year then well and, and it doesn't but, look I mean, as good right backup, backup center is valuable but like for a yeah. for a center that has been pretty durable in his career like the delta for the houston rockets of having a meaningfully better backup center i just don't think it's that high these are not multi-position defenders i i sincerely hope that he is not intending to play adams and Shangun together because that will bring a whole bunch of other problems spacing and, and everything else and and you know the not not the most mobile duo even if Shangun has some has some yeah. decent moments there at times i, I think steven adams could help jalen green a little bit by like setting bone crushing screens and then gortat rolling into uh, someone at the rim see i, I also the way think that he, he helped could be, he could be really helpful for van vliet too um i would say less so for van vliet because he's not really able to finish like van vliet is, and adams are both not very good finishers but what adams can do is kind of just road grade through the lane or then just clean up offensive reads. So I, so I think he's actually weirdly a very good even though he can't shoot a very good pairing with a guy like Russell Westbrook or John Morant or Jalen Green, who's just kind of a lot of athleticism, just uh, attacking the rim pell-mell, which they're trying to get him to do. Yeah, and it, it, the it, offensive rebounding is a nice element to like post. Yeah, it, it's it's creating that. it's creating space that those players can use. And especially because yeah. Jalen Green hasn't created as much for it for himself as we hoped he would. So that's, it, it's definitely a worthy theory of it. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It, unless yeah, you have something move, else. Let's move to Memphis, yeah. This is where things get really bizarre. Because, so you brought up the idea of the bet of the health and, and all that. And that's certainly a consideration on both sides of this equation. It's something that both teams know presumably better than we do. The Memphis Grizzlies, in this deal, they do offload $12.6 million in salary for next year. They save a little bit for this year, but how much that gets them is an open question, presumably that, you know, if they want to use it, and I have no idea that they do, it also likely opens up a roster spot. So now, if they want to, the Grizzlies could waive Oladipo and then use either the Dylan Brooks trade exception or the John Morant disabled player exception to bring in a more significant player that they could before. I, will they do that? I'm skeptical. Maybe they do. But you're also probably not going to get, you know, an amazing return considering the limitations of either of those and and everything for Memphis. And they saved that $12.6 million for the 24-25 season. The fundamental problem with that is that you opened up a gap in your rotation, a hole in your rotation that you have to fill and filling it competently is going to take more money than that. And it's not tenable to me to say, oh, well, they're going to do it with internally because they don't have an internal option. I mean, they might be thinking that like a healthy Brandon Clark can do it or maybe that Xavier Tillman can do it. But it's I think this is a like it, it it's it do, it potentially creates a lot of downside risk for Memphis next year that they didn't need to create. I think it all comes back to the money for them. We've talked about their upcoming fiscal cliff with Desmond Bain's salary kicking in, and they still have Marcus Smart as well. They've got Jaris ja- or uh, sorry, excuse me, Jaron Jackson making twenty five. They got John Morant making uh, the thirty six point seven. So they were with Adams. They were scheduled to be like six, seven million into the tax. Now they've got about five million dollars in room below the tax without Luke Kennard and without Xavier Tillman. And you know, maybe they feel that they can re-sign Tillman for next year. It seems like they probably should. You know, they still got Santi Aldama. They've got Clark. Like, do they feel like Clark, Tillman, Aldama, that's enough at center? Maybe, and particularly for a team that's I think maybe they're like all right well if we're gonna be a contender we're gonna be the two seed every year yeah sure we'll pay the tax next year now it's like well maybe not the other thing that's probably changed their finances is they're gonna have a uh, pick that's probably gonna be top six top seven so Mm -hmm. that's an extra some extra money that maybe they weren't counting on or maybe it's just that the cap's gonna come in lower if indeed it does than was being expected so like this is clearly about the money you certainly raise your eyebrows where you're like well hey like if houston wants this guy and he can play it does like who knows something that the other one didn't about right steven adams health between these two teams and maybe houston is just like "Ah, it's really more about the money for us and like all right if he can't play it's not the end of the world but uh, hopefully he can't i mean the the girls also maybe they're just like hey we got positive value for for steven adams right like that's we can we feel like we can go out and make a deal for another center at a later point using that uh, using those picks if we need one or we'll be okay with like clark and jaron starting and you know jaron has had to play more center this year maybe they feel like that's working out better uh this could also maybe give them some room to re-sign luke Kennard, maybe for a little bit lower number than that 14 million dollar team option that he has for next year uh so i i think it is disturbing in some ways because you're like hey like Steven Adams is such a big part of the Grizz identity. We've heard all this, oh man, because of Steven Adams being out, like that's why they sucked last year in the playoffs. And that's a big reason why they're way below expectations this year. And like he basically is what makes him a good offensive rebounding team and a tough team to play against by himself. And, but he also is going to be 31. Maybe they just felt like that guy was never coming back. They needed to save some money. They got something positive for him. Maybe they didn't, they're like, hey, you know, what if something positive isn't there for him? at the 
he hasn't proven that he's like ready to go at the next uh next off season and now we just we can operate from more of a position of strength where we're not just like so worried about the tax that like we have to deal with that first I, I mean it seems like this is a move that maybe wouldn't have happened if they were playing better or if Ja were healthy this year or it just seems like a, enough things have changed where they felt like this made sense for them it is a signal and I'm not still entirely sure what it is a signal of but some Something that that they may be leaning on, I I just looked this up, is that in the 22-23 season, when Jaron Jackson Jr. was on the floor and Steven Adams was off, the Grizzlies' defensive rating was a 109.6, which it was very good for last year. Net rating is plus 7.8, but that gets a little more complicated tribute credit. So they were able to defend last year, and they were able to play offense reasonably well. And remember, that's that jaw. That's not like all jaw or anything like that. It's it's jaw Tyus whatever. And so maybe they're, you know, yet again, betting on their betting on their bench, betting on their depth. And they think that they can weather this storm in a way that I am openly skeptical of. That is possible, too, because one of the key questions here is, okay, well, you opened up a little bit of spending power. What are you going to do with it? And save money is is clearly one path. But the way I'm thinking of it right now, especially because it's not easy for Memphis to clear additional money, assuming Ja, Jaron, Bain are going to be on the team. Like they they have other guys, but it's which ones of them are can you dump easily and everything else? It you know, like that's the one of the downsides of Laravia and Roddy and all those guys not being as good is that you you don't have as much flexibility as you thought you did. And also you don't have necessarily the players in your rotation, which is the other big problem here. And so from Memphis's perspective, the way I'm looking at it right now after the Adams trade is if the tax is a hard line, which we don't know for sure, but I think is is likely given what they the way they've behaved, then they're probably choosing one of Tillman, Kennard, and the mid-level exception. And that one player will help them, but there's going to be a really shallow team. Like that's just the way it's going to be. They're they're you know unless Zaire or, or Brendan Clark or one of those young guys I was mentioning before, we include Santi Aldama, and that is way better than they've been before. It's going to be hard for them. Well, if Clark and, could just get back to the way he was before he tore his Achilles, I think you you probably feel good about good enough about Tillman Clark as, as Aldama, like a, Jackson. So you, you, you're, you're comfortable with Tillman or Clark being a part of your closing five on a team that ideally is going to win at least one round maybe two rounds in the playoffs i think maybe that their thinking is if they're really at like if they're like back back like that next year you can always just fortify that position if needed and i think their feeling was you know steven adams to be 31 next year we're not sure that he's going to be that guy we had the fiscal cliff coming he's really the only guy he's the only guy they have even that expires next season and probably the only guy of those that they could get positive value for i think that well, that's espe- what especially if they to, consider right? yeah. smart essential which it yeah. they, they very well may be yeah well that that seems to be the case so based based on their behavior yeah. so yeah. so i think i do i would i might say maybe it seems like a little bit of an overpay by the rockets again not knowing precisely which seconds we're talking about but that's kind of been the going rate for guys who are like solid backups these days uh, and it, it, it just seems like it's certainly mostly financially focused for for both teams financial for the rockets in the sense that they need some matching salary and a, a decent player hopefully while they're at it so I, I understand this move i think just for memphis you're like hey it doesn't make sense for us to have 25 million dollars tied up in the center position and we think we can bring back xavier tillman for a lot cheaper than stephen adams would have cost and his whole situation has been so fascinating because uh, they didn't do the optim in and or, or optim out and then pay a more approach which by the way now they have even more flexibility to if they had done it yeah so the group i mean they just have so many injuries like scotty pippen jr is like starting games for them right now like they're, they're just yeah. com- completely destroyed for this year uh jaron's the only guy who's really been uh and he's starting to do more uh, on the offensive end as well this should be good experience for him uh as good reps as a creator and understanding what that's like when the defense is tilted towards you so i ultimately not like i think the only way i wouldn't end up that i'd really be like so low on this for either team and again like this is a relatively small trade but it is as you noted a fascinating one that the only way i end up being so low on this for the grizz is if steven Adam comes back and he's like awesome next year and then you're just like well he's he just would have been way better than any of these other guys that they have but i i think they were they had some concerns about that and 
and particularly given the the knee issue he probably wouldn't be able to go you know 28 minutes a game for them anyway next year but maybe he can be a, a positive in a backup role for houston so I, I think it's actually okay the the more we talk talk through it i'm not wowed by it for either team but i think i you'd love it if the grizz are just like yeah we'll, we'll just shovel tax money out and, and like we don't want to make this financially focused but they did they did actually get something positive back from right like if they had paid to get off of him then i think i would be lower on it i mean that's not exactly a genius thing to say another just straight as another stray note on this deal it is a continuation of steven adams getting traded in moves that are really hard to like weird to assess because you think about the um the move with the pels where it was like adams and valanchunas and all these moving parts and then when he originally went from okc to the pelicans was a weird trade like it's just the the He's been involved in some very bizarre transactions, but yeah. we can leave He's it there. He's a weird player. Yes, and, and I do think there's an argument that he was worth more to the Grizz due to their style of play, due to them having John Moran, and, and that's a part of why I'm for other teams. why I'm so negative on it for the Grizzlies. That not being a super big believer in the guys who are going to presumably replace him, even though I've been high on a couple of them in the past. Uh, one other piece of Grizzlies news you brought up how how many injured guys they have. One of those is John Conchar. He may be returning soonish. Um, he's questionable for Thursday against the, Cav- against the Cavs. And this is not the first year the Memphis has had multiple, been eligible for multiple hardship exemptions, but it's a little different this year where they're not still like viable as a playoff team. So we'll see how Kleiman and Taylor Jenkins want to manage this. But it does appear, even though they made a move with a player who is injured for this year, that they understand where they are for the 23-24 season. All-star reserves are out Let's start in the Eastern Conference. Who made it? More perimeter players um, on the perimeter side. Tyrese Maxey, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, and then you kind of go into the wings. Jalen Brown, Paolo Bancaro, Julius Randle, Bam Adebayo. So uh, the two that I would not have had, I guess three that I would not have had, and I, I will note that as John and I talked about last week, there is a bit of a poo-poo platter here in the East for some of these last selections compared to the West. So I would not have had Brown. I would not have had Randall. I would not have had Bancaro. I think I heard a lot of people dismissing Bancaro's candidacy. I was like, hey, he's putting up a lot of points on a, a team that's over 500 that needs a representative. Uh, and he has had a big burden to carry i think he's been a solid defender for the magic as well and he he is an up-and-coming star but it seemed like oh the the, we're gonna reward the magic uh for winning so i get why he's there i don't think he's one of the the top 12 players in the east and worth noting as well here that we're gonna have two injury replacements probably with joel Embiid. we'll talk about a second and and randall injury issues we'll also talk about in a second so i don't think any of these are like a massive miscarriage of justice but as i talked about with john i would have had oh shit jimmy butler didn't make it either huh no yeah so i would have had jimmy butler christos porzingis and Derek white i didn't feel amazing about white i was just sort of like as ah, this is a this is he's obviously really helping the celtics win i thought so to pick the fourth highest celtic <laughs> that uh including jason tatum like porzingis hasn't played that much maybe that was part of it or maybe it's just that braun is considered a guard and porzingis is considered front court and maybe that's where some of this came in but presumably with mitchell maxi and jalen brunson brown was also yeah maybe he did make it in front court um seems like or as a wild card but they kind of saw him as like an extra as an extra guard potentially yeah but it seems like with porzingis and butler they just went the didn't play enough games route uh it's interesting that and that they would pick bam over butler uh, when butler is the better player also it just seems like that was the big criteria it's also you're gonna get some weird results when all the candidates are so close together that i'm guessing that it wasn't like some dominating performance for these guys but just the votes were kind of sprayed around uh i can't wait to find out uh who rick carlisle voted for when we we figure out who the pacers are trying to trade for next um Well, and I mean, Kristaps Porzingis not making the All-Star team is pretty yeah. egregious to me. I mean, it, he's, yeah, it is because he's, he is, he's been awesome. He's been the year. second best player on the NBA's best team, and he's been extremely important for what they do. And I yeah, he's playing I at a really high level on both ends. I generally don't get my hackles up too much about All-Star in part because the criteria is so murky. And so 
if a person wants to put a player who's having a great year on, there's a rationale for that. If you want to put on, you know, it's all stars. If you want to put on a player who has had a great career, who is having a weaker season, there's a rationale for that. So, but to me, like, if there is a clear argument that somebody is one of the, like, 15 best players in the league they should be they should basically always be an all-star and so for me that's that's part of the argument here with jimmy butler is like jimmy butler was just the best player on a team that made the finals and part of the reason why the heat had i I mean for just like for jalen brown to make it over him is just it's ludicrous no no like are jalen brown's like stats so much better than jimmy butler's this year that you ignore who's like clearly the better player and yeah so that that bothers me because if we're i'm 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 very sympathetic to the idea that the all-star game is more a celebration like of the greatest players in the league rather than who's having a great year in part because all nba fills the other fills the other void and even though there are some you know some restrictions on it that tyrese halberton and i both agree are stupid And but also the idea that part of even though all star games, thankfully, don't count for contracts, you know, in the way other than like bonuses, you know, but they don't like it's not the Rose rule and everything else. It still is an at at times an element of the test time. So if you're having one of the 10 best seasons in the league, yes, absolutely. You should be an all star, even if you've never been that level before. But like the top 15 players in the league and the players who are having the 10 best seasons and then you fill in the gaps like that gets you pretty much the way there, even if the roster should be larger. And so for Butler and Porzingis in particular to not be on the team is just so unnecessary. Yeah. Also, apologies to Scotty Barnes. I know a lot of people had him on there as well. And I, I think he probably would have been, I, I'm not sure if he would have been a superior candidate to, to any of these guys uh, in my estimation. Personally, uh, I know he's put up some pretty good advanced stats this year, but I, I'm just, I, I'm not like a believer in him at that level contributing to winning quite yet to where it's like with the Raptors being like, you know, what, 16 and 30 or something. It's pretty hard for me to get behind it. His candidacy over these other guys that he's like, oh, he's so much like to me, if your team's that bad, you got to be like just an amazing be like amazingly better than some of these other guys and i don't think he's there uh, a couple of just quick notes here for historical posterity julius randall this is his third all-star selection he made it last year and in 2021 bam Adebayo, third all-star selection now once you start getting up to three all-star selections you and these are guys who are not like at the end of their careers hey you start thinking about a guy maybe making the hall of fame uh that's also of course a big part of the flaw for the east-west dichotomy that we've seen for so long what was it seven-time all-star joe johnson uh donovan mitchell this is his fifth all-star appearance already so he's i mean that's there are not many guys who've made five all i don't know if there's anyone who's made five all-star teams who isn't in the hall of fame um jalen brown third all-star appearance uh and then let's turn to the west reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Who made it in the West? Again, kind of starting with more of the guard, the guard-like players: uh, Stephen Curry, Devin Booker, Anthony Edwards, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis. So I would have had six of those seven, with the exception of Carl Anthony Towns, and I would have had Larry Markkinen on. Now, John, and I did this a, a bit ago. Maybe I would have considered De'Aaron Fox instead. It was really Markkinen or Fox as my extra guy uh and and then rudy gobert would have been my next choice and so that if there was a feeling as it appears there was that you had to get a second timberwolf because they're first in the west i just it's insane to me like to me rudy gobert has been so much more valuable to their success this year than carl anthony they have like the ninth 19th ranked offense and the number one defense like carl anthony towns is supposed to be the guy pushing the offense and gobert is the guy pushing the defense 
And like they're an amazing defensive team. They're not an amazing offensive team. Agreed. Yeah. So this is one where I, I think they could have done a lot better. And it's it's always just hilarious to me that the coaches preach defense 364 days of the year, except when they fill out their ballots <laughs> for the all-star game. It is a very offensive centric group. And and yeah, un- unlike the East where they're like clearly deserving players, like the I would have I would have been totally, totally fine with me for De'Aaron Fox or Larry Markkinen to make this team. But I and again, like my I'm more in some ways aggrieved about Gobert just because of the value idea that you brought up in the justification for their success, um, yeah. which is which is a part of this. And so so, it's, so bonus was another guy who got brought up uh, as like a, a possible snub. He actually missed out on a, a over a million dollar bonus for not making it to me. I thought he had a pretty darn good case last year, but that's because like the Kings were just amazing on offense, particularly when he was on the floor. And that just hasn't really been the case so and far this year. And like he's me, putting up points, rebounds, assists, but he's not like, he's not, he's just like not dominating enough as a score for me on the offensive end before you get to his defensive limitations. So yeah, I, 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 didn't I can't, have I can't just, justify arguing when so for me you can't argue a snub if there's another player at the exact same position who was more who deserved it more and that's Rudy Gobert so it's like yeah it Sabonis Sabonis isn't a snub because Gobert is a snub if you want to argue that one of them is yeah Fox to me probably the biggest snub at this point I mean he's averaging almost 30 points a game and and he's been the guy who's been driving the king's success this year more than Sabonis and I ultimately couldn't go there for him over Steph Curry, who has Steph for me was like my last inclusion. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously much more difficult in the West than the East. Where do we need to go here? Oh, well, I guess let, let's get to Embiid. Well, for, or, or oh yeah, well for posterity. Um, yes, yes. Stephen Curry's tenth All Star appearance. Anthony Davis is ninth. Paul George is ninth. Only That's Kawhi a number that I think might surprise some people that that yeah. number is that high for Paul George. Um, cool. Only Kawhi sixth in part That's because a number he's... that would surprise people for being that low. Yeah, and only Devin Booker's fourth, but he'll have lots of time. Yeah, I think the Kawhi probably didn't make it last year. I'm guessing, right? So I don't think and, and obviously he did. didn't didn't in 22. Yeah, he missed seven all 17, 18. So there have been a number of years that, that he's missed and deserved to miss. I would say maybe last year, perhaps not. Yeah, so let's get to this Embiid issue. And I think we both watched that game on Tuesday. It was uh, a bit of a farce that Joel Embiid was out there. Uh, clearly, he pushed to come back and play. He did not play, of course, over the weekend in Denver after tweaking his knee against the Pacers in a rather desultory loss. Uh, and, of course, the Sixers have now been fined $75,000 for not including Joel Embiid on the injury report after it was clearly in jeopardy that he was going to play. He had a, an injury issue. He was really... Joel, I, I think one of his weaknesses, honestly, is that he is a little bit too focused on the external narrative. And I don't think it's necessarily fair what happened to him. And uh, but it seems like he also insisted on not being on the injury report. And he just was uh, just trying to will it into existence, I guess, that he was going to play in that game. And he I'm sure he fully intended to play, but he didn't do himself any favors if he was the one kind of pulling the strings on not being listed on the injury report. He's not supposed to have that power, but come on. Teams are just going to do whatever the fuck stars want in those circumstances. So the Sixers got fined for that, and Joel got a lot of criticism. I think he just kind of misread the room uh, with that, uh, and he clearly shouldn't have been out there against the Warriors. Another national TV game, he just shot a bunch of jumpers. Uh, he tried to run across the lane to contest a shot, and his knee just kind of buckled a little bit, and I'm not sure exactly what the issue was, at least at this point. It has been like knee soreness he's managing. Is that knee tendonitis and then four minutes left in the game loose ball jonathan kaminga trying to secure it rolls over onto his leg which like slightly hyperextended. i don't even know that it hyperextended it just extended um and now news comes out that he has a lateral meniscus tear in a knee that he already has had surgery on for the meniscus back in 2017 I believe it's the second time he's had a tear in the lateral meniscus of his left knee. So even more specifically, like that part of that knee. Because that's what the designation was back in 17? I believe it was. 
Yeah, I think it was the right knee that he was. This is also the second time they've done this where they've said he has a meniscus tear, but haven't necessarily gone straight for the surgery. It sounded like I think he did that in 21 as well during the playoffs. And then it wasn't clear whether he actually had surgery afterwards. It seems like he probably didn't. And they just kind of rehabbed it. So I there's I have no idea what to make of this. Like the talk is they're going to evaluate treatment options over the weekend. Sounds like surgery is not one of those that he's going to just try to rehab it and play on it, which he has kind of successfully done before. We don't know how big this tear is. How much of his meniscus he has left i mean i didn't see anything with respect to jonathan kaminga kind of rolling onto him that would have necessarily doesn't seem like an injury mechanism for a meniscus necessarily brian Zuder noted that like a lot of athletes just when you get an mri they just have shit that's wrong with them that they and right meniscus tears could be small they could be big they could have just been like you, you never know how they could have come about obviously if it's like a massive tear that's one thing but it seems like that's not the case they also i'm sure there's some pressure to now almost say that there is an injury almost to maybe even say that the injury is worse than it was because of the public pressure that's occurred but it just this all seems like kind of a disaster frankly it does appear that the 2017 injury was left lateral meniscus the surgeon's the surgeon's statement about it specific it was obviously it was his left meniscus but specifically mentions the left lateral so it's well, not and, and they went through a bunch of drama with that then too where he sort of was like they didn't think it was a long-term thing and then he was out for a month and then he ended up having the surgery and only playing 30 games and of course not getting rookie of the year as a result of that <laughs> so sure. jo- and joel is just he's like said how focused he is on mvp and just regardless though I mean, I think everyone just has a lot of egg on their face in this situation right now. The league, the team, and Joel. And there there are a lot of losers in this that aren't necessarily that. I mean, you have fans of basketball, obviously, and now Joel is going to miss a really long time. So him personally, like, not only does he... I I mean, I don't know if... We don't know that it's going to be a really long time. I mean, it's... It, well, it'll be at least there'll be a time that he's limited, like we, we where the line is between his absence and his return and his being full strength and everything like that. Yeah. And it also yeah, I mean, I, I just like a really long time to me means like, you know, weeks or months or something. We don't we, know we just don't know yet. at this point with that. And, and it'll be, you know, it'll be hard for the Sixers to handle it while he's out. We don't know again how long that is going to be, especially because current. Currently, Tyrese Maxey is dealing with a left ankle sprain. I, I Last I saw, he was questionable for their game on Thursday. I haven't seen anything definitive on that. And he's missed three straight going into Thursday. So, yeah, it sucks. And, I mean, that he has the tear. However, however, the recovery is going to be with that. And, you know, presumably this takes him, If and this sounds like it was a motivation for Embiid, presumably this takes him out of contention for not only MVP, but All-NBA. And I want to I want to take a brief moment to talk about that distinction. Like there has been a lot of conversation in various places about the like the 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 65 game restriction in MVP. I don't think that's as significant because most valuable player factors in availability like that is a part of value. However, it is extremely significant for all NBA because even though there are competing definitions for all NBA availability is not always a part of that. Like you and I disagree about this all the time, but now they're making it something where, you know, a player, a player who was better, who played in 66 games has a significantly higher chance than zero. And the player who plays 64, who is more important, can't make it. So I, I agree with the criticism. Like there, there was a, there was a mechanism within MVP voting to reconcile this. And whereas there is, there has never really been one within all NBA. I wanted to elaborate a little bit on what I meant by everyone having egg on their face. Uh, I would say sure. even including the media at this point, um, the NBA with the 65 game rule, uh, it clearly seems like that. And not only the 65 game rule, but also just uh, the player participation policy and like that clearly and the, the TV deal as well. I mean, I, I certainly get the idea of wanting guys to play more games. And hey, you know what? Like you like, you know, particularly in a season like this where there are some other amazing candidates, if Joel ended up playing 56 games or something like that, pretty hard to see him winning MVP unless the other candidates also, you know, were playing 
63 games. That's something I actually said in my chat that part of the reason I think that the 65 game rule is like an actual good thing about it. It's not even necessarily that because it kind of makes the other candidates be over the 65 games. Kind of the problem was, okay, well, Joel plays 58 and Nikola Jokic plays 54 and Shea plays 62. Then it's like, well, you sort of end up with this creep where it's like, ah, you know, is that really any much, so much less than anyone else? Whereas I think if you have an encouragement where guys are going to play way more games, ones at 70 and ones at 58, then it's kind of like a no brainer, right? Like you, you, it leads to guys playing like you can't be in a situation where all of the candidates have only played like 60 games because then you're going to get one who's probably played in the 50s. So that's that's a, a I'm still not in favor of the policy. I think it's dumb, but that is one thing that maybe it, it helps with. Uh, and I don't think it should apply for all NBA or should be a much lower threshold for all NBA because Joel, I mean, I'm not going to say that if he didn't play another game this season, he should make all NBA. But like, you know, if he plays half the season the rest of the way and he played 55 games, he absolutely is one of the top 15 players, top 15 most valuable players. Uh, so the league, though, has some egg on their face for this pushing Joel to play when he was not ready to play if indeed we've he suffered this further injury in the Golden State game the team I mean like he you just got to watch him like someone someone from the medical staff should have watched him and been like you know when he goes to jump and he just falls down in the middle of space with no one around him because he his leg just buckles probably time to get him out of there like he was in a situation where supposedly three days earlier he couldn't jump at all like there's almost no way you could recover from not being able to jump at all to being able to safely play NBA basketball three days later, I would say. So the team, sorry, like, you know, I know uh, you want to be a, a, Joel has a lot of leverage over the organization, but sometimes you just, you got to protect players from themselves. Sixers didn't do that. Obviously the injury reporting aspect led to their player being shit on more by the media. Um, the media for just like questioning the legitimacy, legitimacy of his injury. And yeah, like it sucks that he hasn't played in Denver. Really only one of those was somewhat of an illegitimate absence, like the quote unquote calf issue that he had last year. He had COVID. He was had like a three, four week absence in previous years for not playing it in Denver. But for the media to be, just be like, oh, like he's clearly being a wuss like this is what's all all wrong with the league again it's like you know you can say that hey joel can't stay healthy that is a very legitimate criticism sure but like he's just being a wuss and that's why he's not well, out and, there and no it, that is not a legitimate criticism and he th- it, we got a lot of that it is extremely frustrating how often and and sometimes you know fans can get into this media can get into this where it a player not playing in a game is about their like mental fortitude when the league plays too many games. I think everybody kind of knows it. And there are, there are plenty of incentives in place to be, to be judicious with it. There was things that happened like this with Kawhi and everything else. And they're like, Oh, you, you should be playing more. It's like, yeah, if, if he could be, he probably would be. And I mean, I have deep criticisms in terms of like, they should just be playing fewer games in the season that would reduce some of these as well. We don't need to relitigate that all right now, though. I fully intend to probably not on this podcast soon if I have the capacity to do so. And it's it's very frustrating. And and the the way that players at times have been vilified for and at times teams, but it's almost always the owner team league perspective that has been ruling the day for like being cautious and making sure that players are available and healthy for the most important parts of the season. Like that's being smart. That's not being a wuss. That's not being anything else. And yeah, it is like the, that game against the golden state warriors didn't matter enough for him to be out there in that state. If it's a playoff game, sure. But that's the reality of an 82 game regular season is that these games don't matter enough. They don't matter that much. Exactly. Particularly and- when they're just, they come every day and every day and every day. I mean, that's one of the things like Joel, if, if there are 58 games like Joel might actually be able to manage something like this with two, three days off between games every time and actually play in a larger percentage of the games than he's able to now. Exactly. It's it's very it's very frustrating. I'm sad for him. I'm sad for Sixers fans. And I mean, hopefully this doesn't end up like wrecking his season. Uh, We don't know enough about that yet. If he has surgery, that's going to be a that'll be a big problem, of course. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So. No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. 
Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Julius Randle. I fixed the charge. Jaime Jaquez undercut him. Trying to take a charge, he falls, dislocated his shoulder. Sounds like what's happening here is going to be reevaluated in two to three weeks. So that means no surgery yet. You see this a lot with shoulder injuries. You don't know exactly how bad it's going to be. Do the is he going to try to rehab it? You know, could this be kind of like CJ McCollum or Paul George, where like already makes it through the season, he's reduced, and then he has the surgery in the off season. You could also find out that he tries to rehab it over two or three weeks and it's just not responding, and he has to have the surgery now. So there's not not really much to take away from this issue like once he dislocated his shoulder like you're probably not gonna just like come back within two three days or something like that so it it seems like there's probably some kind of labrum damage and it's just like it's just not really black and white with shoulder injuries it isn't and i mean i remember like jeff stott said the thing when the when the dislocation diagnosis came out and he's like basically guys miss a month and that's kind of where this is but you will have to see with the you know like how how is he's recovering at that moment the Knicks are also without OG Ananobi. He's now missed three straight with right elbow inflammation. And then Quentin Grimes has a sprained right knee. He's not playing Thursday against the Pacers. And I just wanted to, because we're not doing an East 15 and 60 and the month just transitioned, I don't want to lose this thread that in January, the New York Knicks went 14 and 2 with a Oof. plus 16.8 net rating. They were the fifth best offensive team, the number one defensive team. Their only two losses were by four points to Dallas with no Luka, but Kyrie and Tim Hardaway Jr. both went off. We actually talked about that game on the pod. And by four to the Magic in a game Jalen Brunson did not play in. So as we're recording this podcast, they are the three seed and one game behind the Bucks for the two after that unbelievable month. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Philly is going to be appearing in their rearview mirror anytime soon. Well, they're going to be pretty low on shot creation at this point, although so many of these other teams are really injured right now, too, that they're going up against. But this is the first time the Knicks, I believe, have won 14 games in a month since back in their maybe the 94 season, the season they made the finals. Uh, they also have been starting Precious Achua at the four. Yes. And I think that's that's a really interesting look. Achua has largely played five, but he has some shooting ability. Like He's probably not a worse just standstill three-point shooter than Julian. Julius Randle has been this season. Randle has been struggling from downtown. And Precious Achua is a really, really good defensive player. And he's quite capable of guarding a lot of these guys that Ananobi can't. Now, when Ananobi comes back, will they all have Ananobi and Achua? Ananobi, Achua, and Hartenstein. I mean, that is a nasty front line. Hartenstein has kind of been been in and out uh, with this Achilles issue. Let's turn to Cleveland. They're the other team that just had a crazy month, Danny. They did. And talked about this a little bit the last time we did 1560, but the Cavs in January, 11 and 2, with a plus 15.7 cleaning the glass net rating. And they did that with very little Evan Mobley and basically no Darius Garland. Maybe no. I I can't remember exactly when his injury occurred. So extremely impressive for the Cavs. They've also firmed up their postseason position, even if we, of course, are far, far away from knowing knowing their seating. So that's been huge for them. Mobley is going to miss their game on Thursday due to managing that left knee. Um, He played on Wednesday against the Pistons so you 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 see this a fair amount where you try not to keep a guy in for back-to-backs yeah Jamie Bickerstaff had said he was going to play but he said today before the game that that he misspoke and that this was always part of the plan uh Mobley has been on about a 22 minute limit so far we saw them for the NBA strategy stream as they played really well against the Clippers really limited Paul George and James Harden I thought Isaac Okoro was really really good on ball just getting into Harden not fouling obviously directing the ball where the Cavs wanted it to go by being physical but also using his quickness it was also quite noteworthy they started Mobley and Allen together but they never played together I don't think at all maybe they played like a like a minute or something in the fourth but uh I think they the only since that they've played together have been at the start of quarters or sorry start of halves excuse me so Ty Lue goes to the break glass in case of emergency with Zubats out Kawhi Leonard at center lineup and so Jared Allen 
guarded Kawhi Leonard I thought maybe they should have tried to and they also didn't have Russell Westbrook in there so they tried to just or Terrence Mann so they tried to just really spread the floor so that that's why they just went with Jared Allen on Kawhi I would have maybe tried to they had one other yeah probably Amir Coffee, maybe put him on on there to have him out but as it turned out Kawhi trying to isolate against Jared Allen it wasn't amazing for the Clippers and the Cavs really shut them down Dean Wade has been awesome for the Cavaliers well I thought he did a really good job defending Kawhi one-on-one Kawhi got his uh but I thought they made him work for it and then they really nobody else on the Clippers was really able to get going at all in that game they shot it poorly from three so not like it was a dominating win for the Cavs but no Garland Garland is back uh, was back yesterday actually against the Pistons, which they kind of had to grind out. But it was interesting that Mobley did not close either of those games, both of which were close enough uh, to you know, have a crunch time. Yeah, I appreciate your summary for that. I don't really have too much to add from our strategy stream game. I'll also note that Darius Garland, he returned on Wednesday and scored 19 points in 20 minutes against the Pistons. And now he's playing the second end of a back-to-back, but he had a fractured jaw. So depending on what he was able to do in recovery, like maybe this this is a signal that he will be able to, and he's starting, um, he's starting on Thursday night. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what his capability level is kind of moving forward. Nikola Jokic didn't play in Wednesday's loss to the Thunder. He's dealing with lower back pain. He is questionable for the Nuggets game Friday against the Blazers. Also on the Nuggets, Julian Strother is still dealing with uh, a right knee issue. I I, I believe the description that um, NBC Sports had is that it's a contusion slash sprain, which is interesting. So there's that. Um, Then for the Detroit Pistons, Isaiah Stewart has a sprained left ankle. He's going to be out for probably about two weeks. Uh, 10 to 14 days is what Woj had originally. He injured that in their win over the the Thunder on Sunday and then didn't play Wednesday. So unfortunate for Stewart. And then the big man issues for the Pistons continue because Mike Muscala has now entered the league's concussion, concussion protocol. He has at times provided some nice spacing for them. Yeah, getting back to OKC, Jalen Williams... A little bit of a scary ankle issue, wasn't able to put any weight on it. And there's also a sternum contusion for Isaiah Joe and Mark Dagnall said he would be surprised if either of them played in the next couple of games. That's hopefully an indication that this won't be a serious thing for Jalen Williams. Thunder have been very healthy so far this season. And I think, uh, but we're kind of at that point where you might see guys just sit out through the all-star break uh, that that might be kind of smart for them couple of notable returns from injuries that are going on right now. Gary Harris has been dealing with a cap strain. He is probable for Friday, hasn't played in basically a month. January 3rd was the last game he played and will be a valued part of the Magic rotation. And then Jakob Pertl and Emmanuel Quickly were both full participants in Thursday's Raptors practice. RJ Barrett practiced with no contact, but so I think it's reasonable to expect that Pertl and Quickly, at least one of them, but maybe both of them could be back for their game Friday in Houston against the Rockets. Yeah, and Barrett, it's been a, a knee issue for him. Pirtle that left ankle sprain and quickly right quadriceps contusion. And if Pirtle returns, Jonte Porter will be out. It sounds like he's doubtful with bilateral back spasms for that Friday game against the Rockets. In Portland, Shaden Sharp, lower abdominal strain, kind of related, it seems like, to the groin issue that he suffered from earlier in the season. The statement was he's progressing in his activities, going to ramp up to light on-court activities, but he's been out for a couple of weeks now. Imagine that this will probably be through the All-Star break, certainly through the trade deadline, one would think. this is So this is kind of a re-injury. I was critical of the Blazers for like running him out there for over 40 minutes per game in big stretches, particularly once he came back from the injury the first time, and then he re-injured it. Bull Bull is available. He was available on Wednesday, didn't play. Uh, he had a right foot sprain. You always want to be cautious of any foot issues for Bull, but uh, he's probable for Friday against the Hawks. And I think could be interesting getting back into the rotation. Phoenix did blow another crazy fourth quarter against the Magic, but has largely been playing well on this road trip. They took care of things in Brooklyn on Wednesday. Ben Simmons came back Monday for, 
from this issue that he had with his back, this nerve irritation issue, I believe. And I apologize. I'll, I'll look that up in a second. It's been so long since that happened. I think that's what it was. And he had a triple double. Jock Vaughn was very complimentary of him. All these guys played well because of Simmons. As I watched that game and I, and I watched what he did, I, he threw a couple of really nice passes. He pushed it in transition. They've also got Daron Sharp out right now. So he's kind of playing at a backup center. And I didn't see like still the same level of like crazy explosion that he had before. The, he kind of just looked like the guy that he was before he, the, the first two weeks of the season before he went out. Uh, but, I, you know, I think he, I'm not going to tell you he can't help the Nets, but he's also, I don't, I'm not going to say that he's like on the mend as far as being, you know, a high level of player after that one game, but he, he seemed like he helped him. But then of course he suffered a left knee contusion. We got the Bernie Lee quote tweet explaining exactly what they're trying to do. He's going to sit out and try to get right. Just miss one game. Uh, and then they also got Dorian Finney Smith out right now uh, with an ankle sprain. Minnesota got the return of Mike Connolly. He'd missed four of their last five games dealing with left hamstring soreness. Hamstrings are tricky. He played 25 minutes in a very comfortable win over the Luka and Kyrie-less Dallas Mavericks. Luka is dealing with a sprained right ankle, Kyrie with a sprained right thumb, though it looks like Kyrie might be back soonish. And then Derek Lively also didn't play in that game because he had a broken nose. Derek Jones Jr. and Dante Exum missed it with a left wrist sprain and a right knee and right knee burstitis, respectively. So it was a very shorthanded Mavericks team, but still still good for the Wolves to to get a dub. Yeah, Luca, he's just been missing time with this ankle sprain that not clear whether he's re-aggravating it or because when he's out there, he's playing these massive minutes. And then they, it seems like they're like, especially when Kyrie's out, it's like, all right, we're going to play you crazy minutes and then you'll just miss games as opposed to just trying to throttle his workload down. And obviously Exum being out, like he had this plantar fascia issue. He comes back, he immediately gets this right knee bursitis uh, and Derek Jones Jr. left wrist sprain for the high flyer. Not, not great. Uh, speaking of punting, LeBron and AD are both not playing against the Celtics. It's the same thing for LeBron, left ankle perineal tendinopathy. And for AD, it's this groin spasm. He did not play against the Hawks either. Uh, he suffered that issue, AD did, and wasn't moving particularly well, though he finished the game against Golden State. Then they got blown up by Houston. He didn't look good there, and it seems like they're finally going to have to rest him so he can fix uh, this groin issue. I, I, and, as I'm, yeah. I was in the building for that for that Lakers-Warriors yeah. game. I was stunned that Davis played in their next game. Like It, it looked to me he wasn't moving very well. Curry was I was shocked Curry. he came back in. I mean, he couldn't even sure. walk off the floor. Like This whole like spasm designation is a little bit weird that he i mean it does seem like there's something where it like it does spasm and then maybe it'll loosen up a little bit but he also like clearly has something wrong with the his groin um so yeah that's gonna be uh i assume that game's on national tv lakers celtics and that's uh not gonna it be is and, and, and as we're recording this the lakers currently lead by 16 yeah, well maybe it will be a good one Moving from Los Angeles to L.A., Paul George is not playing due to left groin soreness. He missed their game Wednesday against the Wizards. We don't have a severity yet on Mr. George. Chris Paul. Well, and George, this is just the, that same groin issue he's been managing. He Correct. did not look good other than a brief scoring jag at the start of the third in that Cleveland game. And this is something that he's going to need to get right at some point. Uh, he did deservedly make the all-star team, I, I thought. But this is like you don't want him going into the playoffs like this. Like at some point, he's going to need to get some rest uh, because it does seem like this is something that's been lingering for over a month. The Warriors have been without Chris Paul. He has a fractured left hand and he and they've really they've really missed him. He's, you know, the stability that he can yeah. provide to some of their lineups. He wasn't having a great individual statistical season in terms of efficiency, but they were very good on off. Like he did cut down their turnovers like it was one of the first years that they've been better without Steph on the floor and that a lot of that was Chris Paul I think it wasn't it's like oh well they have depth they have Pajemski it's like nah Chris Paul is actually like still a pretty valuable player and I do think that once with this starting lineup that they have found now that's starting to look pretty good with Draymond at center Wiggins and Kaminga and then if they could get Paul back now someone else will probably get injured that's just the nature of the NBA but if they can get Paul back to then stabilize when Draymond Green is off the floor, because they've been awesome with Draymond on and terrible with him off, that they might be able to go on at least a mini run. Uh, and Moses Moody returning from a left calf strain, that seems imminent in the next couple of games, uh, could be useful. Paul, it seems pretty likely that he'll just be back right after the All-Star break. LaMelo Ball has now missed three straight with right ankle soreness and 
they're you know they're really shorthanded now and at the on the perimeter with Terry Rozier playing for Miami and Kyle Lowry not participating because Mitch Kupchak said that's okay and Mark Williams is still being listed as doubtful. It is absolutely incredible. Is like, is he? I, I haven't looked at it in I a thought while. I, I thought I saw it a couple days ago. Le, I'm um, going to look it up right now. Uh, no, he's now listed as out. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because the Steve Clifford quote from a week ago where he said he doesn't think Mark Williams is close. Right. Um, so maybe. Well, thank you, Steve Clifford, for helping clarify that. Yeah. So And, and they've got Frank Nilakina out as well. So they basically started Cody Martin at point guard. And they, uh, Nick Smith Jr. has been going off the bench. I mean, it's another one of the – I mean, there are a lot of teams that are, like, just so injured right now that they're unwatchable. It took a while for us to get here, but we are here right now for that point of the NBA season. In Chicago, Patrick Williams – was diagnosed with acute bone edema in his left foot and will be reevaluated in two weeks. That's another one where it seems unlikely that he'll be back before the All-Star break. Uh, that edema is, is swelling. I've never really seen this designation before. It doesn't seem great. Uh, hopefully it's something that uh, he'll be able to recover from. But it's it seems like one of those kind of tricky things where you rest it for a while and hope that it gets better. And if it doesn't, then uh, what do you do? Uh, Tory Craig is getting closer to playing. He's been out since December with this right plantar fascia sprain. And Dalen Terry sprained his ankle pretty badly in the Raptors game. And hopefully uh, he'll be able to return in a little bit. No ankle sprains it's really tough to kind of know the severity of those what else we got here chris ups porzingis um played against the pacers on tuesday he'd been dealing with a sprained left ankle yeah um, missed and two then, games there but was back yeah. he's, he's had a number of ankle issues this season and, and both he and horford are playing in the game thursday against the lakers but luke Cornette is still dealing with a left hamstring tightness so he he is not playing in that game we don't have a timeline yet on him and then the last team for, for news is the Indiana Pacers, in part because of the curiosity. Dan Feldman wrote about this really well in Daily Dunks, for for those who have access to it. Tyrese Halliburton. Which should be everyone, because it's free. Right now, right. you can sign up with a free trial right now to listen to or read uh, Dan Daily Dunk, in which he got deep into the weeds uh, on this issue of whether the in-season tournament counts for the 65 games played requirement or not. And the answer is yes, because of it, it occurs it occurs between the first game of the regular season and not the la- and, and the last game of the regular season does not fit the exceptions and all that. Dan did a great job writing it up, and so so Hal Burton does have a little bit more leeway there, uh, I believe, count, not counting Thursday's game against the Knicks, which he is playing in starting. Hal Burton has to play twenty nine more games to be qualified. I agree with him that the the Cutoff is, is stupid and, and all that type of stuff, um, but he is on a minutes restriction. And remember that one of the other nuances we focused a lot on the 65 game part of it is that if you play, is it under 15 or 20? It just doesn't count as a game played. I think it's under. Or you get like some number of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like like you can get two where you played under like 20 minutes. But I thought it was interesting that he had this minutes restriction on Tuesday. Now, part of this is that you know the Celtics were in control most of the way, but he plays 22 minutes and then he gets shut down during the third quarter. Coincidentally, as I look at this, he has played 21 minutes uh, against uh, the Knicks as the Pacers lead that game right now. But then he's shut down in the third quarter, but he had played 22 minutes. So I believe that will count. I'm not sure whether they were just like, hey, the game's not close. Like, let's just not push it. You qualified here. But I mean, this is real money. This because he signed this deal uh, and this is a five year deal too. no options. If he makes on BA this year, he's going to get 30 percent of the salary cap. And that's going to be 40 million dollars over the next five years for him. And that's uh, that's that's a lot of money. He has a lot of financial incentive. But of course, that's perhaps not aligned with the Pacers ultimate goals here. Uh, and then Ben Matherin didn't play against the Knicks today. A right great toe sprain. He was questionable. Uh, he's missed two straight. Hopefully that will resolve uh, if he was questionable uh, in this one. And I think that'll do it for this evening, this end of the week on Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. Again, if you haven't signed up for free, you haven't listened to the full mock trade deadline yet, what are you doing? Just sign up for free. We've gotten a ton of people who have signed up using utilizing the free trial. We hope that we will retain a lot of you. We're going to work hard to do so. John and I will be on tomorrow. So look forward to, to that. Uh, we're going to think that one will be exclusively on Dunked On Prime. So that's another great reason to sign up. Uh, one of the things we're planning on talking about is the offensive explosion and whether that needs to change, which is what some solutions 
solutions to that might be and then of course we're going into the trade deadline as well and uh, you're going to want to listen to all of our coverage ad free for that thanks so much for subscribing and we'll talk to you all next time reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 